welcome to the We Talk Health podcast, the official podcast for West Tennessee Healthcare. Please be advised that this podcast is not intended to replace any medical advice. Always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing said in this podcast is intended to supersede or supplement the direction of your medical caretakers. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer any questions you may have. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Health. My name is Will Cashagro, and today I'm here with the Butterflies Embrace team. We've done several podcasts throughout July with these guys and gals all about Bereavement Month, which is the month of July. Today I've got Leanne Sutton, Dina Kale, Mary Beth Dunnigan, Scott Bloodworth, and Rachel Ryan. How are y'all today? We're great. Thank you so much. Joining us on the phone is Miss Dina Kale. She's the Executive Director of the Women and Children's Services. Dina, how are you? I'm great. Good. Thanks for being on. So, Dana, it's my understanding that you started this whole program. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So, tell us, Dana, where your vision was in starting this and why you saw the need to bring a program like this to West Tennessee and to our healthcare system. Well, I'll try not to go back to the very beginning of time, but um, I am a labor and delivery nurse uh, at the beginning of my career. So, absolutely, caring for moms is the most important thing to me. And as a staff nurse at the bedside, I often ask to care for the patients that were experiencing stillbirth and loss because I wanted to provide them the very best care possible. And so I was a little bit selfish about that. And so I I think that passion and that love and seeing that need at the bedside is really where my vision began. And then as I moved into management roles and over the years, having the opportunity years ago to start our program, having been staff, I actually was trained as a resolve through sharing bereavement counselor back in the 80s when nobody knew what that was. And then we were able to add one person years ago that her job was to help us with making phone calls to our moms and families that had lost babies. And so... We started very small, and then that kind of changed, and we grew to add the Serenity Garden and add that piece of it and had the memorial walk each year, the walk to remember. And knowing that the need was just continuing to grow and that we were only touching a small piece of the population and reaching only a small number of the moms that we needed to, began to think about how do we expand this and how do we continue to do more and more for these families because they need our love and support so much during this very difficult time. So a group of us started brainstorming, and as I've shared with Leanne, our original brainstorming was that we need a nurse to head this up. And as we talked more about that and and the needs of what this really needed, it was very evident that we needed someone who was a social worker who had experience with hospice, and could really bring that different dynamic to the team because we had the clinical side. And so I felt very fortunate that we were able to find that perfect person to lead this project, to truly develop our perinatal hospice and our bereavement program, and was able to hire Leanne three years ago and have continued to grow this team with We always had a little bit of pastoral care, but not truly the level of pastoral care that we have now. 
and then most recently being able to add Mary Beth and bring in not only that professional side, but also that personal experience side of loss and helping us as a team and pulling in Rachel Ryan as our child life specialist. So it's been just an awesome experience to see it grow and to see the numbers that we've impacted and now to be caring for patients and making a difference in the emergency department. It's just amazing. I totally agree. That was an awesome way to describe it, Dina. So maybe we can start with a description of truly the impact that we make. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the number of families that we reach per year and exactly how that impacts not just our little you know area around Jackson, but the whole West Tennessee community. So we reach out to every corner of West Tennessee. We have no limits, no boundaries of where we serve families and patients, um, whether they come through an affiliate hospital, whether they actually are admitted here to our hospital at Jackson General, or it could be that they are a community referral, someone who didn't deliver anywhere locally but live in this area and still need that support. And I think that's a huge impact that we are able to make. So, Dana, this is Rachel. Do you recall when you were kind of doing some back research, what was the alarming to you that there was needs that were not being met? I don't know that there was necessarily the data to support originally. I think it was more of just the the experience of the staff at the bedside, the input that we were hearing from them, the most importantly, what we were hearing from our families. At one time, Several years ago, we did have a a parent support group. And, you know, when you hear the stories, and I know that I I worked with that support group, and and I can tell you the very first name that's on the wall, the Serenity Garden wall, when that mom and dad said to me in that support group, I didn't know I had options. I didn't know I could have taken our baby home and buried them. I didn't get any of the memorial things, the memory making that we do now. And so I think more than anything, it came from them not even knowing what they were missing. It was a piece of it for me. Which is so heartbreaking. So, they didn't have any idea what was out there. Right. Yeah. And, and, and how, do we, how did we start equipping our nurses and the staff that were taking care of these patients to help you know, that when we created the initial checklist of what do we provide to these families and what do we do through this process, I really think it came more from my experience with the families and the staff of this need is just continuing to grow and we have to do more. Dana, if you'll tell us, we do have a partnership with Heaven's Cradle, which is a fund of the foundation with Gary and Abby Lackey in memory of their son, Davis. Davis. And if you'll tell us, I know that that partnership and relationship with the lackeys, it started well before the program started. So tell us how that came about. Absolutely. Abby, when she was actually experiencing that loss, her dad actually called me as Abby, after Abby called him from the doctor's office when they had gotten the news that Davis didn't have a heartbeat. So Bobby's first questions to me were, what do I do? And what do I say? And those kinds of things. So I vividly remember that phone call driving down the interstate. And so, you know, seeing them and helping them through that process. And she had great support, both in friends and family. And 
she actually, you know, requested some things that we were not actually doing at the time, the molds and some of those things that in talking with friends that they shared, these are things that you need to do. And then after, you know, going through that experience, she actually came to me, met with me and a couple other people in the department and said, you know, I want to make a difference. I might not can make a huge difference, but I want to start with a small amount, start a fund. She knew then she wanted to call it Heaven's Cradle and in memory of, of Davis and how do I keep this alive and make a difference for other people. And so the number one thing that she wanted to do was to be able to provide financial support to families that couldn't afford to pay for burial. That was first and foremost. And so that's where it started. And that's where the, you know, the foundation fund began. And that was the beginnings. And then we continued to grow and fundraisers began that focused just on that. The Twilight Run that started out with rooftop rendezvous, dinner on the top of the garage uh, across the street and, you know, became very, very successful and has continued to provide way more. The second thing I remember asking for after we kind of got that going was staff education. So that was kind of the second goal that we started with was how can we impact staff education to have the tools to be able to provide the appropriate care for our families. So that's kind of the beginning, as I recall it. I think one of the other things to point out that they've helped fund are the caring cradles to help give the families a little bit more time at the hospital with their babies as well. Well, like I say, those were the early goals, and we continued to add goals as we as we moved along. And we were the first in the United States to receive the caring cradles. Cuddle cots, actually, were those. In the beginning, and because of Heaven's Cradle, we were able to provide those to the families. They've done been awesome. an awesome partnership. Yeah, for sure. Danny, you said this is all amazing stuff, uh, where the program started, where it came from. So where is it going? So I definitely want to elaborate on the, the impact that educating and, and supporting staff has made. The consistency and having someone there at the bedside that is trained specifically to care for a grieving family. That, that makes a huge impact in how a family receives care in our hospital. A minute ago, you mentioned staff education. Why is it important for the staff to be educated in this direction? It's very important that we have staff members that are trained because the job of taking care of a family that's grieving is difficult in itself. The emotion that's involved, trying to stay strong for that family and allow them to experience the most time that they can with their baby and create some good positive memories. You know, that's our goal of having families deliver here at our hospital. So that's already a difficult job. So we wanted to equip the nurses with some tools they could use and also kind of a checklist that they would be then able to make sure that every family received the same standard of care. And that's really where our vision with implementing the staff certification started. We needed to streamline it and make it very easy for a staff member to do, but we also wanted to make sure that every family member, every family that came into our hospital received exactly the same thing, that no one received less or more, and then we would assess their needs to to provide additional resources. And so we're extremely proud that with the number of classes we've been able to hold over the last two and a half, three years, that in our community, we have over 200 members um, that have been specifically trained to take care of a grieving family. So a lot of those are nurses in our hospital. 
chaplains, child life specialty. So a lot of that is our staff members. But then we also have reached out to local community members that have been interested in our program. We also have reached out to local OB clinics and have certified staff members in their clinics so that when a mom comes in, has that ultrasound or receives news at the OB clinic, they coordinate with us. They actually start their care in the clinic and then help that family to come to the hospital, start making decisions, and transfer that care to us as our team. And so that's a very, very vital part of why we do what we do. We want consistency, we want stability, and we want that same standard of care for everyone. We mentioned the uh, the importance of the staff education, kind of specifically towards the nurses on the floors, but... What about the ED? I feel like that would be a big part of that as well. Yes, the emergency department has been amazing. It's very, it's a different culture in the emergency department. And uh, the nurses there will tell you the biggest shift, it's a huge cultural shift. Because when you compare a mom who's having a miscarriage to a major trauma patient that has arrived, that major trauma takes all hands on deck and it makes it feel like it's very much less of a physical emergency with that mom who's experiencing a loss but the emotional trauma and the emotional needs of that patient are just huge and so I think it's been wonderful to see the shift of the nurses and the nurse practitioners who are typically the PAs and nurse practitioners that are typically caring for those patients how they have embraced this, and we have built such a bond with the staff down there. And I'll let Mary Beth tell you a little more about the specifics of kind of key person that's made that happen and what we've been able to do in the partnership between our bereavement team and the ED. Yeah, so our key person down there in the ED is Addie Grisham, and she's done a great job with evolving that program down there and making sure that the management down in the ED is educating enough staff so that every shift and day is covered whenever a mom comes in who's had a miscarriage all the way to a SIDS death. Another person or two people come to mind when I think of people who have been vital down in the ED is Alicia Duck and Julie Loveless, just helping us create simple things as documentation and then getting communication back from the staff nurses to our bereavement team whenever a woman has come into the ER to have a a miscarriage and how we can support that mom after she's left the hospital. So a lot of times the patients that do come into the ED, we don't necessarily see them. That's part of us educating the staff down there is equipping them with the resources and education that they need to take care of those families. And then, you know, they do let us know who that mama is and how we can support her in the future. And we will pick up the role there going through that 13-month bereavement program that we talked about in the last podcast. But that is a big part. Do you have anything to add, Leanne? I would say that probably the community is not aware that in the hustle and bustle of a very fast-paced, trauma-oriented ED that we have, that we have a private area for our grieving families. And so they're able to be taken into a different section, triaged very quickly, have the one-on-one sit-down support they need from a certified staff member. And most people 
you know, might have a bad impression of what an ED looks like and feels like because it's so fast paced. But we have been able to create a very unique environment there that our families have a quietness, a peacefulness, a a private place. And that nurse and that provider are able to sit down and go through all of the needs and support measures and resources. And so that that mom might be discharged home or um, she might be admitted to the hospital. So there are so many scenarios and ways that we can help. But every ounce of resources that we have for a mom that's admitted to the hospital that we actually meet face to face, we have those same resources in the ED. And I think that's a huge accomplishment that the community needs to be aware of, that we are providing that same standard of care for ED patients as well. So this program is all encompassing. It's not just focusing on the mom. It's not just focusing on siblings. We also want to make sure that the dads are included in that. And I feel like this program is doing a better and better job of doing that. Scott, do you want to talk a little bit about that? When Leanne brought me on board, I was uh, getting ready to start a, a doctoral program. And in the course of that program, I wondered what the course of my study would be. And I settled actually as a result of this program, I settled on how fathers deal with perinatal loss. And that's kind of been the focus of my study. So I've just been kind of observing what is already in place. Leanne and, and the crew do a, a great job at that. I'm more of an observer at this point. I can, I can throw in my perspective as a male and uh, what, what I perceive. Um, and in talking to the dads, that's not been off base. But, I mean, it's a learning process. I enjoy, I guess, for lack of a, a better phrase, I guess, I don't, I'm, the, I'm kind of the whipping post. I can be the whipping post. When, when dads need to grieve, we've had dads that have punched walls coming down the hallway, have been so frustrated, and just been there for them to vent to things that they would not say to a female. They don't mind saying to another male. And we've put you in that position several times because as being the male on her team, you've been able to reach the fathers and the grandfathers in a different way than I could. So that's why the team concept is so important because we have you on our team that can, you know, guide them to express their grief in the way they need to, not necessarily how the mom is grieving. And that's huge. And I mean, that that knife kind of cuts both ways, I guess, because there are also, and then it goes back to what you said about the team, there are times that a, that a male is not going, he needs to talk to a female but he can't talk to his wife. True. And he needs somebody that he can talk to, vent to, and say, this is really what I want to say, but I can't say it to my spouse. Mm-hmm. And um, we're blessed to have that. Dynamic. Yes. yes. We are, definitely. Rachel? I've seen with fathers, oftentimes they're the ones that are talking to the kids at home about what happened. True. Because mom is still in the hospital, and mm-hmm. they may go home and check in on the kids or they may be the ones to talk to them on the phone because mom's been on medicine and Mm -hmm. is trying to take care of her body and heal and so oftentimes they're tasked with relaying the information to the kids and so that can be very impactful on a dad that's one of the first questions I tend to ask is do the kids know and um, we talk through that. And so that's something I try to do is equip the parents with the information on how, how do we, how do you even start that conversation? The fathers are very brave in a sense where a lot of times they've either already done that mm-hmm. or they're impacted later. They don't realize how hard that was at that moment. 
Well, that gives them also gives them a chance to to be involved. That's one of the the greatest setbacks I think in in being a dad is having to stand on the sidelines and not being not knowing how to help. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I help my spouse? And it puts them at a at a major disadvantage. Because our society kind of places them in that caregiver role. And if they cannot be the caregiver, if there's nothing they can do to fix the situation, it's very frustrating for them. So that, you know, that particular out is a way for them to participate. This is a lot of great information. We've actually done another podcast about the father's perspective of losing a child. So if you're interested in listening to that, it's called A Father's Grief. It's two or three episodes ago, so feel free to check that out. Mary Beth Donigan's husband, Matt, is actually on that podcast talking about his perspective of all that. So feel free to check that out. Well, this has been a great episode of We Talk Health. Uh, If you ever have any questions about the Butterflies Embrace team, each of their email addresses are going to be listed underneath their names in the description of this podcast. There's also a link to the website for different services offered by the Butterflies Embrace program. If you have any other questions, feel free to address those to wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com. This has been another episode of We Talk Health.